This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Hello, everybody. You are listening once again to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I am really pleased today to be joined by Andrea Mind DeWitt. She is an author, speaker, and life coach who teaches high performing leaders to see and step into their authentic lives. Currently, Andrea is the CEO of Andrea DeWitt Advisors, where she coaches heart centered working professionals. She also holds a master's of education in reading leadership from uh, University of California at Berkeley, and she's a certified professional coach. And uh, she also was an elementary school classroom teacher and reading specialist for two decades. So for all of you listeners out there, a lot of relevant crossover and experience. Andrea's new book is called Name, Claim, and Reframe, Your Path to a Well-Lived Life. And it was recently named a top D- D- top motivational book of 2023 by NBC's Today Show. Andrea, welcome to the show. Wow! Thank you for that introduction, Ross. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm I feel oh, kind of excited by hearing all that stuff. I forgot about some of that stuff. Right, and then for listeners, you know, this is the actually the second Dewitt we've had on the show. If you heard our episode uh, a handful of months ago with Peter Dewitt, um, similar situation here, where I told Peter, I'm not even going to read your bio because now your bio is longer than your book. But we have a lot of, you know, a lot of accomplishment here, so it must be something about that name. But I'd like to jump right into this and talk about that honor that I just referenced with your book. When the book was highlighted on the Today Show, um, one of the people uh, speaking about it was a New York Times bestselling author, Emily Giffen. And she said, this book is filled with inspiration and wisdom about how to take control of your life. And what I really liked about it was inspiration and wisdom, right? Because I think a lot of times books that get categorized as motivational or inspiring, um, they don't always have that much wisdom. <laughs> That's an important thing for listeners to think about to say, okay, 
there's a lot of substance to this in addition to the motivational elements and they work together and it helps you to really follow through, execute on the inner work as much as the, the exterior work, right? And that reflection piece. How did your your journey, because right? you've been doing the coaching for quite a long time now, but you also were an educator, right? You've gone through these different transitions in your career. Um, how did, you know, I think it's earned wisdom, <laughs> I'll put it that way. So can you talk a little bit just about that journey to this work, how you started to, you know, work on these ideas uh, through your coaching practice and then eventually write the book, but how the wisdom that's included in this book was accumulated over the course of, of your own journey? Thank you. Thank you for that, Ross. Um, I think that I, I'm turning 61 next week. I think that I am proof that it's never too late and you are not too old to really live your dream. And I, what I've found with the clients that I work with and the group coaching I do and the people that I speak to is that there are people that have come to a point in their life and they think, ooh, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> something's not right. And it's rubbing up against my core values. And to me, that is really the sign from your, what I call your essential self or your authentic self, the truth within you to take a deeper dive inside and what is going on. Something isn't working because you are not the same person at 18 that you are at 30 or at 40 or at 50 or at 60. And this work is really about, I always say your power and your potential start with your truth. And it's an opportunity and invitation to look inward so you mm -hmm. can respond to life instead of reacting to it. Right. And there was something else in there because it really was personal for me. I went through a, uh, a time in my early fifties where ex that exact same thing happened. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been an educator. That's the only thing I know. I was working at the college level at the time. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't feel good. And I felt like an imposter. I thought, can I, can I shed this cloak of education? And I thought, I, I just can't stay here. I wouldn't, I won't be in integrity. And I took a leap of faith and I bet on myself and my goodness, I'm so glad I did because it gave me an opportunity to really learn about how much I knew being a, a, a teacher and an educator and touch other lives with my story. And one of the things, and you and I were talking about, about this before we got on, is that I think, and for your audience that are educators, I don't, I, I don't think as educators, we realize how many skills we have. Mm -hmm. um, we know how to take content and make it accessible to learners. And when I was writing this book, I thought about that. I thought, okay, well, there's my story, but then there's my client's stories. And then what if somebody doesn't understand that? How can I make a visual that would help this person? And so what I've heard about this book is that it is, it makes this sometimes kind of woo-woo, scary, um, deeper dive into our truth, mm -hmm. accessible and fun and interesting. And that's what I hope I've achieved. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you referenced, you know, there in your answer, I think it was fitting that, that, really early on, it, you mentioned the core values piece, right? And I love yeah. that this is so critical to the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, 
resonate with me because it's something that I really emphasize as far as, you know, mission, vision, and values, um, whether I'm working on coaching with a leader or consulting on marketing with an organization, like you have to have those values personally and organizationally, because that's the thing that is, is your guide. That's that what's what tethers you to say, okay, there's a fork in the road here. I can make this decision or that one, which one is going to take me closer to where we want to be okay, well, what are my values and how does this align with it? If we don't have that, we're just kind of guessing, right? So, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the core values piece, how you approach them, how you define them um, and how you work with, with people to really discover and establish them? I love what you said about mission, vision, and values. And your mission and your vision isn't possible without your values. I mean, it, right. it just isn't. And the core values piece, what my experience is, Ross, is that most people don't know what their core values are. They think they do, right. but they don't. And that's the first tool that I work with, with clients. And then in this book, I have a, a mini core values assessment that you can do, um, that you can, you can do it on yourself. And if you don't know what your values are, it's difficult for you to see where you want to go first and foremost, and it's also difficult for you to keep sacred what's most important, like your energetic boundaries about, you know, why can I not be with this? Mm -hmm. I have found that dissonant experiences, negative experiences are way more informative of what our core values are mm -hmm. than positive ones, believe it or not. When a client comes to me and has a problem with something, they're really frustrated, they can't be with something or something has happened. I will ask them, okay, what core value was stepped on? You know, what can't you be with? And they'll say, well, gosh, you know, hmm, I think it's because I wasn't respected. And that's really an important core value for me. I, or I felt that somebody wasn't hearing me or seeing me. And right there, we can drill in on, okay, these are the things that I really want to create an energetic boundary around and I want to keep sacred. And, it's, and once you know what those things are, it's much easier to go where you want to go. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that really relates back to you know, something else you were referencing, which is respond rather than react, right? And there's those times where something happens and we're feeling compelled that we, we want to react to it. And, and, and it's the heat of the moment and it's, it's something that's frustrating or otherwise just kind of gets under our skin. And, you know, we really want to navigate that more effectively. <laughs> and I think oh. knowing and having established your values, what's important to you, what you stand for, how you want to be in situations beforehand is so critical to being in the moment. We, we had a recent conversation here. I think it, it sort of relates. It's not totally about values, but it's about, um, you know, my, my interview with Carlo Mafuz, he, we talked about how um, being in the moment means being prepared right? That they, a lot of people think of those two things as antithetical. They think of the in the moment person as just kind of the free flowing. I'm just sort of going through my day and reacting to things and the prepared person is doing all their homework. But realistically, my ability to be in the moment, to act appropriately in the moment, to respond to somebody, to have a good conversation, to listen, to hear what they're saying, right? And to process 
is having done the pre-work to have prepared myself to know who I am, what I want to be, who I am in a situation. But you can talk more about uh, certainly that, you know, that difference. And, and when you say react, you know, and respond, what you mean, the differences there and what that might look like when we're maybe leading in the wrong direction, but also your belief in, in, in or if, if you believe that I'm correct, um, that the core values really are a contributor to doing that successfully. I do. You know what, I, if, if I may, let's mm-hmm. start with the structure of name, claim, and reframe, because I think mm-hmm. that will take us where we want to, where we need to go to make it right. clear. The name step is really gaining awareness of what your pain point is. Right. Why am I reacting to this adversity instead of responding to it? So what's, what is my trigger, if you will? What's, what's, what's my pain point? You know, what's, mm-hmm. what can I be with? So that's the naming step. The claiming step is claiming an action that matches your core values. So I may have been triggered by that. I may have reacted initially, but I can choose by to I can choose again to claim a response that matches my core values. Right. And then the reframe comes when we realign our perspective to look at the situation in a different way because we've stepped away from it, separated our ego, and we can really respond to the adversity or the challenge or the plot twist with vision, with more vision that matches our goals for the future. So that's the name, the claim, and reframe. You talked about, and I, I use this, and I think it's, sound, it's something we all want to be. We all want to re- respond to adversity mm-hmm. instead of reacting to it. And that right. happens in the naming step. And I'm going to go somewhere where, and and I do this in in a way, Ross, that I want to make it accessible to all. In my book, and you can upload this for free on my website, andreadewittadvisors.com. It's the balance your response chart that helps you understand, am I reacting or am I responding? And in this chart, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a got four quadrants. And the top two quadrants are masculine leadership traits and feminine leadership trait. All human beings, whether you are male, female, or however you identify, these are non-binary leadership traits. All human beings have masculine leadership traits and feminine leadership traits. So above the line, masculine leadership trait might be being... Um, confident or courageous or decisive or taking ownership or being logical and above the line feminine leadership trait and this is what I want to welcome more in is being a good listener creating community using emotional intelligence being humble inclusivity that kind of thing you think about combining masculine above the line with feminine above the line wow do you have a potent leader Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm welcoming pe- people to do. Now, here's when we go below the line. When you react in a below the line masculine way, you might be controlling or confrontational, or you might be territorial or inflexible or intimidating. Gosh, I don't want to be a leader like that, but we've all done it, mm-hmm. haven't we? If you, re- if you react with a below the line feminine leadership trait, you might be inconsistent or passive aggressive or people pleasing or be vindictive. Now those aren't, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> wonderful leadership qualities either. Right. And so, and I've certainly done those things. I have, I will admit it. So the naming step is going, oh my goodness, I'm reacting in a jealous way or in a undermining way. And I'm going to catch myself and I'm going to choose again to respond yeah. in an above the line way. So I always say the best way to be is just get curious. Oh goodness, why am I reacting to the situation and what can I be with? So that's the, you know, your power and potential lie in your truth. That's the truthful part because your leadership starts with you. Knowing right. What's going on with you. Absolutely. And so, so much of this, right, this is the, you know, that, that personal piece of determining, you know, what are the, you know, naming, claiming, reframing those factors that are influencing us as individuals. And then according to our role uh, professionally or personally and in relationships and communities that we're a part of, it also affects the organization, right? So many of our listeners here are going to be folks in school leadership positions. So they want to work through this for themselves, but then understand um, the influence this has on the culture, on their colleagues, faculty, and staff. It's appropriate that the term react comes up again. And in this case, respond instead of react. And we talked recently with Mark Miller about um, adapt, don't react, right? When it comes to developing organizational culture. Same thing. There's things that come up that are unexpected, unanticipated, or at least they happen at a moment when we weren't expecting them to happen, right? And if we haven't prepared for the type of person we want, the type of leader we want to be, how we want to handle situations organizationally, the culture that we have, that we want to have, the way that we want everybody inside that culture to feel, we end up making those short-sighted decisions to say, okay, something unexpected happened. Now let's change everything we're doing or <laughs> let's make a rash decision that uh, we look back on it later and say, ooh, ooh, that's not, ooh, that's not who, that's not how I, sh- I should have done that, right? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's that relationship to taking the time to go through the steps <laughs> and to say, okay, if I don't, if I'm unprepared for this or if I haven't, taken myself aside and sat with myself and thought it through and reflected on it and worked through it and been honest about it, eventually that will catch up with me. And, and I think there's a challenge too. We can even go through the name, claim and reframe. I mean, a lot of people who get hung up on the first one where you know naming the source of your pain point triggers your limiting beliefs requires facing it addressing it and saying, okay, I'm going to be, even if it's just with yourself, I'm going to be vulnerable here and really identify what this is that I need to work through. I'm going to, to make this even easier. Mm-hmm. We can never be prepared for what's going to show up. I mean, you just can't be, you know, if somebody comes in, if you're working with a student, a parent, mm-hmm. a colleague, whatever it is and somebody comes in and they are in a they're upset or something happens it's easy for us to get in our heads and think "Ooh, okay initially i reacted maybe i got defensive or i wanted to control the situation or i got angry and this opportunity in this name step is an opportunity to choose again Mm -hmm. i use the example of 
my father was in assisted living. I was having a problem with somebody that was caring for him. And I was angry and I was worried. And so I started, I reacted. And so I, I thought, oh, you're reacting. I'm naming that. That's not how I want to be because I want to get somewhere. So I said to the person I was talking to, you know what? That wasn't very nice of me. I'm emotional. I'm very sorry. Can I try again? Can I start again? Let me ask in a different way. And I took myself right there. I named, named it and I claimed a response. I was honest. I apologized. And then I asked again. This is why I'm worried. I'm super curious about how we can. And you know what, Ross? I've got exactly what I wanted. And in that moment, I was honest with myself and with the person that I was talking to. And I was in integrity. I'm having a hard time about this because this is really hard. We're dealing with somebody I love very much and and things aren't working for him. So I want to help my dad in this moment. And I think that that happens at work, in school. And also, as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, wouldn't we want to model for our students how to problem solve strategically, gracefully, and resourcefully? Wow. You know, it's an opportunity, not just as leaders and educators, but my goodness, to show our students how to navigate adversity. And so the naming piece is you got to start there. (laughs) Where am I? Am I above the line or gosh, am I below the line? Because we all go there. I still do. It's a daily practice, Ross. I do it every single day. Right. And there's a a term you define in the book that's relevant to all of this that I think it makes sense for us to, to stop on and have you describe it to listeners, which is the gentle warrior. Um, yeah. And the, you know, the way of, of navigating through particularly, you know, challenging or high stakes uh, situations. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm going to give you why, how it came to be. I grew up in a very mm-hmm. masculine household. And so both my parents, um, you know, we were, I had a wonderful childhood, but it was very masculine. We're very focused, confident, goal-driven there wasn't any space for emotion. And so I showed up goal oriented and independent and committed and very competitive. And what happened is, is when I was triggered, I would show up and be very controlling and overpowering and confrontational, which is not a great way to be a good leader. And so when I became a life coach, I wanted to explore why am I feeling unbalanced here? Well, it's because I had all this incredible feminine, the side of me, the other side of my wholeness, which both men, women, or however you identify have that I wasn't accessing. And I thought I want to be a, a balanced leader. And so when I started to explore the feminine side of myself, I found a leader that was attuned to where she was. She was emotionally intelligent. I have a lot of emotional intelligence. She was, she could be vulnerable, but she, she was still strong, but she was honest. Mm -hmm. She was way more receptive. She was a good listener and she was really resourceful. And so I thought, my goodness, there's something here. And so And, you know, that below the line feminine would come up more often than the above the line. And so a gentle warrior, instead of being a warring warrior, which is how I explained myself in the beginning of my life when I was a warring warrior for 
you know, 50 years and now I'm 61 and I am a gentle warrior because I know how to gracefully, resourcefully, strategically, and intelligently take my power back, not burn bridges, and really find a way forward that matches my goals for the future. And that right. feels, I am so much more grounded. And that's what a gentle warrior is. I want to add this caveat because I think it, that it really illustrates the gentle warrior. If you are a good negotiator, think about our good negotiators in the, mm -hmm. in the past. I mean, I always think of Charles Schultz. I think of Winston Churchill, you know, I mean, right. he was, a, you know, a bear, but I think if you're going to going to negotiate, you have to bring feminine leadership skills and you have to be a good listener. You have to create consensus. And those are feminine leadership traits. And to me, those people are strategic because they know they want something. Yes, they've got them. They've got the vision, but they are working with the person they're negotiating with. And they're saying, OK, look, I'm going to receive you, which is a very feminine leadership trait and listen to what you want. And then we can build a bridge. And yeah. to me, that the, the gentle warrior does not come in with a sword. The gentle warrior comes in with their resources and their intelligence and their strategy. And yeah. my goodness, don't we want to be that? Think about right. how, how much more harmonious our world would be if we all approached everything. I mean, from a minor altercation in the grocery store or on the, <laughs> while you're in traffic to a, a major problem that you're having at work with someone or someone in your family. It just, it, it makes us better humans. And I feel that this work has made me a kinder, gentler more compassionate person, but it's also made me more um, insightful and I've been stronger and I, I feel much more balanced and it's available to everybody. I like the term because it gives a name to something that's a, a very real thing, yes. right? And particularly if we're talking about education, there are so many things about the mission and the realities of being an educator in, in this country in particular that uh, are going to make us want to feel like we need to be warriors, right? When we're battling exactly. against inequities and we're fighting for access and social justice, there's even a term social justice warrior, right? Where it's like, it's all those things that you know are these high stakes, very important, challenging things on a daily basis. And, and, and there's a lot of pushback and hurdles and, but it's that focus on saying, okay, but on the one hand, being a certain type of warrior in this sense may make it more consistently clear to everybody where I stand, but it might not get me the results I want. And thinking about this gentle warrior and these traits to say, okay, I don't have to be compromising again on my values, but figure out ways to navigate and to work with and collaborate with the people around me to get us to the results that we want to see. And that takes a little bit of honey, right? a little bit of, you know, it, the, just that interpersonal piece. And it also hopefully is more sustainable because one, when we see that we're getting successful results, we feel better about our work and we go back into it. But also, you know, you write about the book that is for those seeking self-betterment and renewed spirit and all too often and it won't be this won't be a secret or a surprise to anybody listening it's almost like by definition we we feel like 
doing the job of, of being an educator means that we have to chip away at our spirit. It's that, you know, that, that burnout, that feeling of, okay, if I'm not pouring out everything from inside me into somebody else till, till I have nothing left, like, have I really given it my all? And that's not, you know, that's maybe a false, a false definition of it. Right. Um, and that in fact, having that renewed spirit in ourselves, one strengthens us to to keep doing the work, to do better work. And it's not antithetical with being a mission-driven, values-oriented person. Um, can, you, can you talk about that renewed spirit piece and why that's so critical to this and, you know, and why that's something that I think it sounds good to a lot of people, but they don't really know how to, what to do about it. It's true. I love that you come through this through the lens of a teacher an educator, because anybody that wants to teach, it is a noble profession. I did it for 30 plus years. I mean, you have to love guiding. You have to be able to see things in other people. And this work really, I think, is transfers to all areas, to any parts of our life. When you react, you are back on your heels. You're out of control when you were talking about social justice and people, you know, social justice warrior. Um, when we're warriors, when we're warring warriors and we're, we're angry, and when you're angry, you're back on your heels. You're angry because something isn't right. You want to make it better. And so when we think about really looking in, what resources do I have inside that I can call upon right now? Because this isn't working. Then we are able to respond and take our power back strategically mm -hmm. in a way that is going to serve us and all the people we want to help. And we've had, I think just in, in, in our world, just with the pandemic and the Me Too movement, we've had people and they were really angry with good reason. My goodness, it's been awful. And especially education, there's so many injustices. I absolutely agree with you. I stand with you there. But it's like, if we really want to help the people that can't speak for themselves, then we need to be strategic and resourceful and find that stuff under our armor. Right. And that's what the general warrior does is he or she steps back and takes a deep breath and assesses the situation. What can I call in right now? What are my superpowers that are going to serve me here? How can I, um, I'm, you know, that person that I'm trying to negotiate with or trying to get something from, they're not listening to me. So how can I, can I use my intelligence and my resourcefulness to try to meet them in a place where we can work together? And my goodness, mm -hmm. oh, there's so much there for all of us. I mean, the world, there's so much there. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and, it, and, and it's intelligent. It's intelligent, strategic leadership. Yeah, and it, and it kind of it requires the ability to think and live uh, both in the micro and the macro. Right? Well, and, <laughs> and, and so often we're in the you, one or the other. Ross, I mean, this is this is you know checking your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're ego driven, it's not going to serve us. Sometimes we that's when I talk about the reframe when you step back and think, okay. I'm going to take my ego out of it. That person wasn't nice to me, but I'm going to think about what my goals are really. If I'm advocating for a student or a policy that's going to benefit a group of students, I'm going to, I need to check my ego out. That person wasn't nice to me, but what is going to get me where I need to go? Because that's my goal ultimately. 
I mean, if, if we could check our ego at the door and believe me, it's, it is a practice. I have to do it too. And we could think about what our vision really is, what we really want. My goodness. It makes it a lot easier to get where we want to go, but you got to yeah. claim before you can reframe. That's, right. that's, that's the, that's, you got to do the work. You got to go inward first because as, as leaders, we got to be honest with ourselves first. You can't be a, a, an effective leader unless you have leadership, personal leadership first. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, part of that reframing there, you could also be some re-reframing, but it's, it's, you know, the ability to kind of look at, at soberly at the bottom line of did these steps that I went through and these actions that I took get the results that I wanted? If not, let me take a step back and, you know, recalibrate, re-strategize and just being, you know, honest about that. But also you mentioned ego, which is a great thing because one of the things I love to talk about here is our spheres of influence, right? Our relative um, sphere of influence. And part of that is the humility to understand there are certain things that are out of everybody's grasp and reach. And the more that we try to fight against that, the more we just are going to be frustrated and feel angry, right? And, and, and ultimately feel it's our, our ego will end up, you know, counterintuitively making us feel disempowered because we can't do what we want to do. But also it's about that fact that the influence that each of us have is often greater than we imagine, because if you can affect one person and two people, and if, you know, a whole classroom, a whole school, you know, there's a lot of individuals around each of us that we can make a, a significant difference for. And if each of us works like that within our spheres of influence, then they keep compounding and we've made a big impact. But it's about having that perspective and saying, okay, the, you know, going through the steps, right? the, these are the things that are our challenges. These are the values I have. These are the actions and the, the strategies I'm going to take. This is my optimism about that. That optimism piece is really critical to saying, okay, here's what I can do and let me do that. And then I have to trust that the next person, the next person are each going to do what they can do. And then together, you know, we're kind of, and, and it's not always easy. You know, you, you write about, I mean, there's those inner critics, uh, right? and you even um, create a persona for your inner critic about that. You know, there's that constant battle that's ongoing again, you know, that's something to persevere through. Um, before we get to the next step, would you even like to, to, you know, take a beat to, to, to reference that inner critic, I guess, you know, because we're kind of going back and forth here and saying, like, we need to be optimistic, but it is challenging, but we also, you know, we need to be realistic. Um, but I think the strategy of, you know, identifying and grappling with that inner critic inside of us is part of that necessity of not only temporarily, but permanently overcoming the limiting beliefs that we have and the things that kind of tell us you can't do this or you can't achieve it. And it's not just getting past them for the moment, but it's, it's actually, you know, turning them into different beliefs, right. And, and, you know, eliminating those beliefs from our, our mentality. That's right. That's right. And I did not know anything about the voice of the inner critic until I was certified to become a life coach. And it was, like gold, Ross. It is the first tool that I use with when I work with clients or I, I do a group coaching course is identifying the inner critic. We all have a voice inside that doubts us. 
that says we're not enough or says we're this or we're not that or we there's it's never going to work it keeps us playing small and when you can learn to identify ooh that's my inner critic not me you can flick it off your shoulder and go you know what you don't have current information and i know what i'm doing here I mean, I always talk about, um, and I'm not nervous anymore, but when I first started promoting my book, I would go on podcasts and I'd be really nervous. And so my inner critic who I did not, I didn't share this one, but this inner critic that I have, one of them is a 20 something college co-ed who thinks I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I'm not prepared enough. And I have no business talking about what I'm going to be talking about. And she would show up on my shoulder and I'd go, oh, my crabby roommate's here. And I'd look at her and I'd say to her, you know, I know you're really nervous about us going on this podcast, but I just want you to know that you're 20 and I'm 60 and I know you don't even know all the things I've done. Plus I've written a book and I know you're worried about, you're trying to keep, keep us safe, but don't worry, I've got this covered. And I would, I would just ask her to leave and then I'd show up and be myself. And right there, I've separated myself. I gave her the facts, the stuff she didn't know. Oh, you've written a book? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, our inner critics are like overprotective parents, but they keep us playing small. And, and I always make, I make it silly and fun because when we personify them as a crabby roommate, or I have one in the book called Sister Mary Francis, who's a people pleaser, or... I had a client that had one that was the New York media moguls who thought that she had no business doing a podcast. <laughs> I mean, you can be anything you want it to be, but it's just about recognizing that we are always going to have a doubting voice that doesn't think we're good enough and just getting okay. ahead of it and knowing that we do have the power to take our power back instead of reacting, responding by saying, oh, that's the inner critic. I'm going to let it go and then be who I really am in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe, uh, I think Tony Soprano's inner critic also told him he was unprepared. So that yes. critic has been particularly busy all over the place. They uh, are. <laughs> so. And then when we make them silly, I mean, can you imagine what t Tony Soprano's inner critic must have been? I mean, when you make them silly little things, then you're thinking, oh, it's just that it's just that silly voice. And and oftentimes the inner critic personifies maybe an, a critical parent or a critical teacher or a coach or a boss we had that made us feel less than. And mm -hmm. when we get on the other side of it and say, that's just a voice, it's, I know better. I know mm -hmm. what's best for me. Then you can go forward and have, be more visionary and expansive. Yes, absolutely. So Andrea, I want to transition into a little bit of a, a rapid round here, yes. which I like to do. We'll get through I have a handful of questions here and, and we'll run through them. And my first one is to somebody who is, is coming to this work and they're just hung up on naming and they just, they just can't seem to get through the naming step. Um, what message would you give to them to kind of break through that wall? The first thing I would say with naming, I think it's, I think it's a hard step because you have to be honest with yourself. I would say upload, because it's free, my balance your response chart and start there and just mm -hmm. say, gosh, what about this situation is making me feel less than? Why am I reacting? And what about it can I be with? And just sort of 
looking at that and being compassionate with yourself because up underneath the reasons that we react to things are often core wounds and mm -hmm. limiting beliefs. And gosh, no one likes to look in those shadow places. None of us like to yeah. look at the things that we see as weak. But what I've found is that when we get on top of that stuff and we figure out why we're reacting, we actually are able to clear the energy and get and learn tools to begin to responding. And sometimes even talking to a colleague or a friend about, gosh, you know, this happened to me and I, I reacted and I'm trying to understand why that happened. Just having a conversation with someone you trust or journaling. I mean, that's yeah. a great place to start. Perfect. Um, what is something you learned as a teacher that still serves you really well in your work today? Oh, that's such a great question. I learned so much. For all your teachers out there, I want them to know this, that I, when I didn't realize how many incredible skills I had being able to make content accessible to others, I just knew how to do it because of being a teacher. Um, our job as teachers is to make content accessible to all. And I think that's why my books is successful is because I came at it uh, from a teacher is that I didn't want anybody to fall off the truck. I wanted everybody to gain access to these life coaching tools because not everybody can hire a life coach. And so right. making content accessible in a fun, engaging way is something I've mm -hmm. learned as a teacher. And I, I take that into everything I do. So um, your teachers that are listening out there, they are making life's tools accessible to their students. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So thinking about that too, as you were kind of, you know, you've had, I think, multiple sort of transitions between, you know, being in elementary and K-12 to the higher ed, to coaching, right? These different steps, but particularly as you were growing into the next phases of your career, you know, beyond those, those initial parts of being an educator, was there a particular limiting belief that you found yourself that you really had to focus on overcoming? Because we talked about that a little bit, I think, earlier in our conversation and also before we began recording, right? That, um, you know, educators have all these skills and capabilities, but don't always have the perspective to understand how valuable they all are to all these other things they may be interested in doing. It may be a, a next career, but it may just also be another thing that you, nobody has to do just one thing. <laughs> so, no, they um, don't. But, you know, there's these perceptions we have of ourselves to say, well, I don't know if I can do that or, or am I only able to do, you know, this thing and, and, but how did it look for you? You know, what's, what's really interesting about that is I um, was a struggling reader, a late reader. And in my book, I talk about that's a core wound that I had a teacher when I was in second grade because I couldn't decode words, um, suggest that I was unscholarly. And so I carried that, that limiting belief with me mm -hmm. so much so that I went to graduate school to become a reading specialist because I had to prove that teacher in second grade wrong. So I became a reading specialist, specialist so I could work with emergent readers to help emergent readers decode vocabulary, I still didn't think that I was scholarly, even though right. I had a master's degree from Berkeley. Right. I went right. on to teach college. But what I, I mean, I felt like that really drove me. And you talk about teachers being advocates for struggling, you know, students. I was always advocating for children that 
didn't that learn differently. So different alternate learners. Mm -hmm. And because I was an alternate learner. (laughs) And so I was helping these children crack the code of print. And now as a life coach, I help people crack the code of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that, that wounded healer kind of thing really has helped me. Your listeners out there who want to do whatever they want to do, you can do anything you want to do. And everything you've done through your whole life builds and it builds and builds and builds. And you bring all those skills to whatever you choose to do. So don't ever give up on yourself and know that you are so much more magnificent than you think. (laughs) And so much more resourceful than you think. And it's just about getting rid of the inner critic and just taking a leap of faith that it's going to work. If it feels good in your body and it's really what you want to do, take one step to do it because you can do it. Excellent. Um, What has been most surprising in your career? (laughs) Being um, what you talked, you opened with when my book came out December 20th, mm-hmm. Ross, which is, I thought this is the worst time to release a book. I mean, I thought if this is a death sentence. This book's going to go nowhere. The most surprising thing was that I switched careers in my early fifties and I became an author at 60 and my book <laughs> hit the today show and we sold out of books um, that, that it's never too late. And I was the dark horse. I mean, whoever thought that the 60 year old lady with dry skin would be the messenger to bring this name, claim, and reframe message to help lots of people live happier lives. That's the biggest surprise of all to me. And I'm proof that anybody can do whatever they want to do. Excellent. So the last one is, what's a dream you're still working toward? Oh, gosh. A dream is that I can touch as many people with this message, make it accessible to as many people as I can make it. And people can hear me pick up my book um, and maybe be able to take their power back in, in a resourceful, graceful and strategic way. That's, that's my vision. (laughs) Perfect. So uh, listeners, again, the book is called name, claim and reframe your path to a well-lived life. Um, Andrea, where can they find the book? Where else can they learn more about your work? Anything they should check out? Yes. My book can be found wherever books are sold And please go to my website and upload the name, claim, and reframe toolkit. It's free. And my website is andreadwittadvisors.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm always doing fun things and really trying to give people tools. And we also have a workbook coming out in, in just about a year that helps you to take the book and then apply it to even apply it more to your life. So stay tuned for the name, claim and reframe workbook coming out in the spring of 2023, uh, 24, excuse me. Perfect. So everybody, yeah, we will put um, the link below to Andrea's website and some of her social media channels. You can find the book on the website. You could also find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. Um, please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one or visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Um, Andrea DeWitt, thanks so much for being on The Authority. My pleasure, Ross.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.